Hey investors, welcome to the Investor Lab. My name is Goose and on today's episode, we're going to be talking with Mark Trowell, the CEO of Yabonza. Now at the moment, anyone who is involved in the property investing space knows that there's some stress, concern, considerations around property management, uh, tenancies, all of that kind of stuff, how to mitigate your risk and how to increase your cash flow. This episode ticks all of those boxes and more. We delve into different strategies and ideas around that. When is it a good time to buy? Why your bonds does what they do? How that can benefit you as an investor? And most importantly, how to you know, really clarify your perspective on how to optimize your own portfolio as well. I know this episode is going to be massively valuable. This is best suited to really anyone who is currently a landlord, whether that be with one property or more. This is going to be greatly beneficial to you to get some perspectives and insights on how you can navigate this time very well now and also into the future. Now, if you like this content, please like, share, subscribe, um, tell your loved ones, tell your friends. We really appreciate it. Deeply, deeply appreciate it. If you can help us spread our message to educate and inspire and transform the wealth creation stories of other property investors as well. So if you want to find out more about how you can work with us directly, how you can join part of our inner circle, then head to theinvestorlab.com.au. There's loads of really great stuff there, resources, access to our online community, and of course, access to us as well. And if there's anything I can do to support you, please reach out and let me know. There's also going to be a link um, for uh, an opportunity in the show notes to connect with your Bonza. Click on that. Um, use that link to connect with them and see if they'll benefit you in your property journey too. I hope this has been beneficial. I love you lots. See you on the inside. Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Investor Lab and joining me on today's podcast, I have a very special guest, Mark Trowell, CEO of Yabonza, one of the fastest growing, most exciting and most disruptive property management companies in the country. And I thought, who better to have a scintillating conversation with about how to leverage property management to benefit your property portfolio, how to navigate the current environment um, with everything that's going on with the coronavirus and get another perspective from the other side of the property professional fence. So Mark, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's a real pleasure to have you on board. And, um, you know, just, just for, for so everyone knows, Yabonza are a company that we recommend to our clients. Now, the purpose of this podcast is not to be a big ad for Yabonza, but I do want to publicly uh, state that I personally recommend Yabonza. I do actually think they're a great company doing really great things. And, and in this episode, we're going to be digging into, you know, a lot of different topics. You know, we, we want to, you know, not just talk about what Yabonza is, we want to talk about how property management is changing in Australia. We want to talk about, you know, cash flow, growth. We want to talk about what's happening in the market from both sides of the fence. So I'm sure we're going to have a pretty exciting conversation, Mark. Very good. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Mate, I'd love to, um, I'd love to just crack open the can a little bit. And I, I have read uh, a little bit about your story. Now, one thing I find a little bit misleading about Yabonza is that it's touted as a prop tech company. But the reality is, and what I see uh, from, uh, from a user perspective, is that, is that it's not really a prop tech company. It's a property management service that's full service that has people on the ground. And the, the key differentiation is that you are a little bit more technologically advanced. You use apps and all of that kind of stuff. So how, do you, how did you get started? Why did you start Yabonza? And why have you defined your brand as a prop tech company? Yeah, good. <laughs> very good. Very good questions to start off with. So look, uh, a little bit about my background. I mean, I've been in and around property for 27 years. I did start as a property manager 27 years ago here in Sydney and, and actually did the same in, in the UK as well uh, before making the logical leap over to banking and running large-scale technology programs for banks and finding efficiency. So I've always been in and around property and technology itself uh, and combining those two things. More recently, I you know before starting and founding Yabonza, I was actually at Macquarie Bank and my, my role there was real estate technology in Macquarie Bank. And, I'm not sure some of your audience know this, but Macquarie is quite big in that space. Uh, they bank 40% of real estate agents in the country. And, and it was really, really there was looking at how do we find efficiency to create great experience for clients. Um, and that's what made me, you know, take the leap out of Macquarie and, and certainly start looking at that more fundamentally myself and how we can really change that around from a, what we call a, like a, you know, a reactive to a proactive approach and, and something 
that is you know good for the client experience, both landlords and, and, and tenants. Okay, and how have you done that? So yeah, I'm sure. Guess is the uh, the second part of your question. Why we why do we why do we uh, brand ourselves as prop tech? Look, you know we we do that because effectively technology is at the core of what we do. Um, we leverage technology for the benefit of what we call taking away the lower value tasks and redeploying people onto what we call higher value tasks. And they are generally the relationship aspects of it. You know, you traditionally, you know, if you look at a traditional agent, you've got a lot of people running around doing these things that a machine can actually do. So why, why do them? Why not let a machine do those things and then focus on where it is for the value for your clients? You know, look at property as an asset. How do we then look at property as an asset for our clients? And that's where the real value sits. So it actually enhances the relationship aspect of what we do. What what's it, what are some examples of some of those processes? Because yeah, I'd love to get some examples. What are some of those processes that you've been able to automate um, without? And uh, sorry, I'm not even going to imply that. What have you been able to? What have you been able to automate? And how has that impacted the experience of tenants and landlords, good and bad? You know, don't just give me the good stuff. I want to know where it's actually where it's actually potentially weaker, whether that matters, all of that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, no problem. And, and remember, for us, it's always a continuous development. So we use a lot of data to, to move from day on day. So what we learn from one day, we apply to the next day and we continue to develop on what we learn. So that's, that's probably one good underlying thing. So you know, whilst we've got a lot of automation happening, there's a lot more that we actually step into as well. Mm. And if we look at those key areas, and if you look at, if you actually break down, like almost the time and motion study around a property manager does, you've got a lot of time spent in repairs and maintenance, uh, issues management, you've got a lot of time spent in, in payments as well. So if we just look at payments as the first probably example of that, we, we have our own payment gateway. So we're able to process our own payments. We don't rely on, on banks to, yes, we use a bank to clear payments, but we own our own payment gateway. And what that actually means is similar to a PayPal or a Stripe. Some people might recognize those brands. We have that internal to our business. That means we're able to actually then take from multiple tenants. You might have one lead tenant or multiple tenants. We're able to take those payment, those, those the rent payments, aggregate that, and then pay to many on the other side without them needing to pay down to a trust account. So we don't receive a whole funds. We facilitate the payment all the way through. Um, that that cuts out of a lot of the trust accounting work and the reconciliation that goes around on that. Our systems take care of that. Uh, it means that you know there's no, there's no risk of us you know taking into those funds. Our belief here is that the money belongs to the landlord, and that's where it goes. So it, you know, as the money flows through, it goes out and says, right, management fees are paid, any approved invoices are paid, net funds down to the landlord's external account in one movement from the from taking the rent on the tenant. So there's sort of the improvements that gain efficiency, but at the same time use that you know technology again to to ensure that there's a better process and, and again a better outcome for the landlord and that's one area then we can go into the same thing for repairs and maintenance it's another classic example that we look at right you know a, a lot of people don't realize generally the cost of not really proactively managing repairs and maintenance can cost the landlord it's, it's actually we call it like the hidden fee in there you know, if you look at, you know, most things that can be raised by tenants can actually be resolved from tenants. We, we took a stat from a previous month where we triage everything that comes through. Uh, we have facility managers in that stream of work and 50% of the uh, repairs and maintenance issues that were raised by our tenants in one month, we were able to resolve with the tenants. And wow, so that's, that's a big saving. You know, you think traditionally someone might have gone, okay, I'm just going to get the electrician around there to have a look at it when it's just a, a simple, you know, lights have gone out and you've got to go to the main fuse board and, and switch that back on, right? You know, you save the tenant, you've saved potentially the landlord $180 plus just in the call-out fees, but also you're creating a good experience for the tenant because the tenant's gone, oh, it's resolved. I'm, I feel empowered. I don't have to wait for, you know, you know 12 to 24 hours for someone to come out and fix something. So they're the sort of fundamental things that technology has really creeped into to help create the efficiency. Now, I so said we have facility managers in there. We have a platform that then takes in all of that, you know, repairs and maintenance issues and queries, and we're able to triage from there. And we enrich any problem that goes before it does need a trade. Uh, then we can get into leasing. So there's a lot of areas that I can break down where what we've done effectively is broken down that whole aspect of the property manager's functionalities and then use technology to run those components. Mate, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Now, are you familiar with the terms uh, integrator and visionary? Are you familiar? Okay, so 
for those who for those who aren't familiar with those terms, there's typically uh, I guess two two uh, vectors of entrepreneurial leadership. I think it's probably the best way to to analyze that. One is the vision, the visionary, the big idea, and they're going to change the world and they're going to do all this kind of stuff. And the other is the integrator. The integrator is very systems focused, uh, very oriented towards you know the nuts and bolts and building that together. Be very powerful to be an integrator. How do you identify? Because I can see that you've got a big vision here, but there's also you've also got a very systems oriented oriented brain. I could probably say bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. If you, if, you, if you talk to my team, that's probably what I'll say. You know, they, they, they pull me back from the visionary aspect and pull me back to the reality of, of, of the delivery side of things. But, yeah, it, it's a fine line between the two. Yeah, we do have a big vision for this business and where we want to, we want to take it. But I guess my, I guess my career in, in running a lot of large-scale technology programs for banks Makes you makes you an integrator, right? You know, there's performance criteria there that you've got to. Uh, you know, you might have the vision, but if you don't deliver, then it's not worth not worth anything. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good, and that's good, and that's a really great grounding to have because I think um, I think if you've got the visionary capacity, but the integrator uh, skill set, I think it's I think that's really good. What is the vision? What is the vision of your company? Well, what are you, what are you trying to do? Why? Look, what's the big why? Why are you even doing this? Why? Why do you care for a start? Well, well I care because I was a landlord myself. <laughs> and and I came out from that industry. Look, I think from the beginning, you know, I have always been involved in property. I love property. You know, I love I love I love being a tenant. I love being a landlord. I've, I've gained from every one of those experiences, and I do see property as being one of those things that are fundamental to everything that we do in our lives. And you know, what I want to do is make that better. But how do we make it better? How do we make it a better experience for everyone? Because there is so much opportunity that sits within that household itself. Right? We've got a We've got these landlords out there that have, you know, set themselves on a journey of either creating income, capital growth, or maybe the two of them. How do we create a better experience for them? How do we give them something that really benefits them just beyond, you know, trying to stick up the rent every six to 12 months? How can we make their property a better experience and stand out as well? Now, there's a lot of build to rent coming into the market. So how do you start differentiating property from build to rent? At the same time, look at the tenant experience. How do we create great tenant experience? Because that, the value in the tenant is also the value in the property. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I think that that is an overlooked um, that is an overlooked part of the equation by a lot of people. You know, you know, and I often talk about. Uh, in fact, in my book, I talk about it, and I've, I've done videos about this as well. It's about service. Now, a lot of people don't real a lot of investors, property investors, don't realize that what they're operating is a business, and they're providing a service, and they're business owners, and their tenants are their clients. Now, a lot of people um, don't really think of joining those dots in that way. But if you think about it, that you are a business provider, a service provider, you're, you're providing the service of an accommodation solution, the tenants are your clients, then you have a, a duty to custodianship to generate the, the optimum, uh, optimum experience for your clients so that you attract better clients and so that everyone has a better experience because a healthy business has healthy clients and all that kind of stuff. And also you have repeat business. Now, what does repeat business look like in, in property? Well, that would be uh, tenants who stay longer because they have a good experience. They enjoy being there. You get better uh, income stability within your asset and all of that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean necessarily just you know, tenant wants a spa. Let's go put in a spa or anything like that, right? But it does mean it does mean making the experience uh, mutually beneficial, right? And correct. And and for us, the company, if we can distinguish our brand as that, it's benefit to the landlord. Because if you've got tenants out there looking at it, going, well, I could go in with ten you know, with uh, real estate agent A or real estate agent B, or hang on, here's here's your bonds are down the road there, and I've heard the experience I get by moving into that property. You've instantly got a bias towards that landlord's property because of the person you're actually choosing to actually run that for you. And that's that's an important thing. So we, we need to create our brand as being that people that can create those great experiences. Um, and there's many, many different ways of doing that for the tenant. And I probably you know, I went and touched on in the beginning. Part of the reason that we do actually own our own payment gateway in our business is because we're able to facilitate the payments for the tenants just beyond the rental. So if you look at a, a tenant moves into a property, what do they want? They want a good experience. They want a lifestyle. They want their life admin looked after it. So we can facilitate their bill payments, right? One-stop shop. Here it is. Here, you know, we can do all your bill payments for you as well. And that creates that little bit of an edge. Creates starting getting that better experience of how they see that property. And as you said, right, repeat, repeat business. 
Yeah, 100%. It's very interesting just listening to you say that. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and, you know, I love business as much as I love uh, property and real estate. And I was actually just listening to a podcast last night. I'm not, not sure if the names are familiar, but it was with um, Russell Brunson and Roland Frazier. So two, two, pretty, um, two pretty prominent uh, figureheads in the, in the business entrepreneur space as well, particularly in the current environment. Roland actually has a massive uh, history in real estate as a real estate entrepreneur. Um, anyway, they were talking about the, 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 the thing that creates more exponential growth in any business is simplification because, because what people want is the simplest and easiest solution that also meets their needs, okay? And if the simpler you can make it, it doesn't matter how great your idea is, you go, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to have this, and then, then this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. But if you could actually just make step A to step you know, F in one smooth, like it's nice, easy, user-friendly, simple and easy to do way, that is what's going to help grow a business. And the reason is because you're going to have greater client satisfaction. Correct. Seamless. Seamless. A very, very good example of the, the taxi versus Uber, right? When you hop out of an Uber, there's no payment to be made. There's no pulling out the credit card or, you know, giving cash across. It's thank you very much. That was a great trip. Off you go. Seamless experience, right? As you said, simple. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Like I, I, I love that experience personally, and I think that that's, um, I think that's a great thing to, great thing to have as a, as a visionary component of the business. Now, look, let's get stuck into the, uh, let's get stuck into some meat and potatoes, right? Because um, at the time of recording, and probably, probably for some time yet, let's be realistic. Um, there's a bit of disruption going on. A bit of disruption might be an understatement. Um, but there's, there's obviously the corona, the impact of the coronavirus, uh, all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of negative media uh, about property. There's a lot of stress by investors. There's a lot going on. There's a, emotions are running high. Let me just say that. What do you see from your side of the fence and how do you think property management can play a role in allaying those concerns? Um, I think the first thing that we've got to hit on there is uh, communication and transparency. You've got to keep people informed on what's happening. And, you know, you're right. Over this last month, if you look at the number of legislative changes that have come out or the number of commentary, that, the amount of commentaries that come out, it's put people under that uncertainty. Uh, uncertainty in an uncertain environment, people tend to feel more stressed and, and become more panicked. So the first thing that we identified quite early on is that component. So is to ensure that when something came out, interpret it. What does it mean? What does it mean for the client? What does it mean? And I said talk client, I talk client broadly, landlord, tenant. So what does it mean for these people? Interpret it, send the communication. So we, we, we send quite regular communications around, yeah, a new piece of, you know, legislation comes out or a new piece of commentary is made, how will that impact them and what does that actually mean for them? So I think that's the first thing that you've got to really latch on to is keeping people informed. So, and the other, I guess the broader aspect, I guess, is starting to play out. You know, what does it mean to individuals, the landlord? Okay, so, you know, what are the potential risks? You've got, you know, people asking for rent relief, you know, in the, in the, in the short term. Okay, well, how do we navigate that landscape? How do we navigate the landscape for the landlord? Because the landlord, you know, often more than not has either one or just two investment properties and they rely on that as potential income or they're building a, a future retirement base. So, you know, how do we ensure that we're protecting that for them and what is available for them as well in the various aspects of it? So you've got to jump on pretty quickly and, and, and work your way through that. I think this is a little bit of a probably a, uh, no, I was going to say rough ride, but I think there's probably a little bit more to come in terms of that playing out over the next couple of months. I think we've been through probably the worst of it in terms of the initial shock and what does that mean? I think the opening of restrictions coming up over the next you know fortnight to a month are going to start easing some of that. Hopefully people get back into that normal normal way of working but you know I, I, for me it's the transparency and communication is paramount in any of that of helping people through that to relieve stress anxiety panic and lots of them okay so then tell me to the 99 percent of uh landlords out there at the moment who are freaking out in some way shape or form so for a little so for a little bit of context i recently asked this um question inside one of our private groups and I said, what are your biggest questions about property management right now? And I got to say, the, the response was generally 
I wouldn't say negative. I would just say emotional. People are, people are, people are like all over the place. Now we, we rent vests. So we currently rent, you know, we're seeing our, you know, we're seeing all kinds of different sides of the fence. So what do you, what would you say to the 99% of landlords who are currently asking WTF? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, don't panic, right? There's always a way through this. Remember, property is a long-term journey for a start. And that's the thing that I've got to realize is you're not buying for two months, you're not buying for five months, you're not buying for six months, you're not even buying for, generally you don't buy property for a quick 12 months turnover. Property is a long-term journey. So look at it as a long-term gain, okay? This will sort itself out. I'm, you know, I would love to be able to have a crystal ball, but I think you know, we all know that eventually this has to sort itself out, be it six months or even be it eight months. It will sort itself out. So look at the longer term. You know, look at the longer term. What does this mean for you? It will normalize. We, we've been through you know, GFC back in 2008. Um, we saw changes there. We've been through these things in history. Now, if you're buying property for the longer term, it will pan out. It's just how do we navigate the short term? And what does it mean in the short term? So really look to those things in the short term that are available to us. You know, if you've got a mortgage, you can put the mortgage on freeze. Um, if you know, again, if you've got you know, job seeker available to you or job keeper, look at all these things. Look at all the things that the government's put in place to navigate that short term aspect of it. But knowing that property is a long term investment and it will return, it will come back. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think it's you know it's it's a challenging time for everyone, and I think that. Times like these, you need to be resourceful and you need to be looking at whatever uh, levers you can pull in whatever um, kind of ways that you can. I also think it's a really uh, important time for compassion because, because more than ever, you need to go, okay, how, how can I show love, care, consideration, respect, empathy, all of those kind of things to my clients, to the tenants? How can, how can I lead first with love in this environment because I think anyone listening to this would know or realize that right now that's what we need more than anything else, right? We need to be able to love each other through this so that we can all get through it and have a positive experience and work together more than anything because at the moment we've got so many things working against us. Right now all we have is, is each other. And I think that's really Correct. I mean, and we look at that. So just a, just one of the facts that have actually come out from, from this last couple of months. So 10% of our portfolio had requested rent relief. So, you know, in that first few weeks, 10% of the portfolio said, I'm putting my hands up, I need help. 10% of our portfolio in the first couple of weeks said, I need help. Yeah, so, okay, so we said, right, we've got to jump on board. How can we help them? How can we be of assistance? So we quickly we quickly then said, okay, let's assess where you're up to. Let's see how you've been impacted by this. Um, and let's see what's available to you at the same time. Then let's convey that to the landlord to see what the landlord are able to do. You, you very much do become that mediation point between the two as you said right they are your clients so how can we help your clients get navigate this through them as well how can we work collaboratively with them to say hey, what's available to you what are the certain things that we can do because you don't ultimately you don't want to lose a client either you know you, you don't want to go into vacancy periods you don't want to look at you know, you know what does it mean in, in four months if you've got no tenant in there so it's it's best that you actually both work together and find a solution because the and if you can find a short-term solution, it's the longer game that you're playing, and both of you are playing the longer game. So we quickly jump in there to have a look at that. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's really interesting that you said 10%. Have you seen an increase in uh, rent relief requests out of curiosity since yeah, then? Well, or is it- 10, 10% is what we saw. 10%? Um, has it gone up since then, or is no, that sort of where it, it's at? It, it, the first couple of weeks, it was probably about 2 point, I think it was about 2.8%. Yeah. And then, then there was a quite a big jump in sort of week three, four. That went up to about you know, seven or eight percent, and then it kind of now plateaued at about that ten percent. And we're seeing it now that well, we're seeing the, the curve flatten out, um, flattening the curve, flattening, flattening the, the curve. In that is that's awesome, yeah. mate. That's great. That's really interesting because um, if you digest it, the problem is I think at the moment everyone's digesting so much media. Everyone is digesting so much media. Me personally, I've cut my social media usage usage by about seventy percent. You know, just because it's, it's just like... Overload. Oh, it's full on. I don't know about you, mate, but it's like it's, yeah. it's full on. I, don't actually, I actually don't find it to be very, um, a very positive experience right now. But interestingly that you say um, 10% because what the sentiment is, uh, the sentiment is that it's much higher. The sentiment, uh, you know, the, the emotional uh, current would make you feel like it's a way bigger problem than 10%. Now, you've got a fairly decent-sized portfolio. We don't need to go into the numbers, but 
to understand how, like I think, and also broad, broadly, broadly distributed, you're a national service provider, which means you're in, in different markets. So you're going to be, you'd be able to aggregate that. And I would say that's a pretty good sample size. Now, interestingly, um, I recently did another, uh, I did an interview with uh, Terry Ryder from Hotspotting and he said that he was talking to, I can't remember which, um, which bank or he was part of a discussion with, um, with one of the banks. I don't want to name which one because I can't remember which one it was. But he said that they'd only received 3.9% uh, of their mortgage holders requested a rental uh, mortgage freeze, which then if you were to listen to the media, you'd be thinking, oh my God, everyone's like, you know, it's all, it's all you know, going, everything's going into shutdown. But then when you look at these statistics, it tells a very, very different story. I think it's a very promising sign. Well, it's funny you say that. I was actually talking to one of the mutual banks today and they said two, just two clients. Two <laughs> clients? Asked, just two clients that asked for, uh, for, for putting their mortgages on, on freeze. Unreal. I mean, I can, I, can speak, I can speak for ourselves. We haven't put our, uh, our mortgages on freeze because we haven't needed to because our, our tenants are still, you know, all good, safe, secure, and happy. Now, look, I want to I want to navigate from here because what I, I think that there's different risk profiles within property as well. Because there's obviously many different ways that you can invest in real estate. It's a very dynamic uh, marketplace. I'd love to get your personal insights and perspectives on you know yield versus capital growth and some of these kind of discussions and which which you think is the uh, lower risk way to build a portfolio. Look, I'm I'm a fan. I'm to be honest with you, and it's probably probably a hard thing to come. I'm a fan of both yield and capital growth. I think capital growth is the long term. You buy you buy for the long term, so you look at capital growth. You look at yield in the short term to actually then service the the property and the mortgage and all that sort of stuff. And then your short term yield of what you're actually getting there allows you to use that income in other ways. It might help you build that portfolio and you know take out various other mortgages and buy other properties. So there is a balance between the two. And it's finding that that kind of equilibrium between the two, uh, which means that you've got to have a look at various different areas that are going to, you know, where where are the growth areas, where are the yield areas, and often they're not the same place, right? So where are the borderline areas between the two? I'm I'm a firm believer myself personally. I like the balance between the two. I like something that is going to grow over the longer term because again, my view is you're buying. Well, my my view personally is I'm buying for the longer term towards a you know potentially a retirement point of view. So I want that capital growth. By the time you get there, you can actually then you know, potentially liquidate that property or have it as a passive income. So you then use it as a passive income at that point. And then you're looking at, well, actually, I want a decent income on that. I want a decent yield. I want areas that are going to grow in terms of their income aspect. So my personal view is it's a balance. But the other thing I think we've got to think of there is diversification, which I think is really important. And I think you hit the nail on the head before. You know, we, we've got properties kind of right the way across the country. And the analytics, again, from that is telling us that areas respond to different shocks in different ways, depending on the, the industries in those particular areas. So I'm also a big believer of diversification. So where you might have in one area capital growth, you might have in another area you're chasing yield. So, you know, you've balanced off between the two. What, what, what do you consider to be good yield? Uh, it depends on the climate because I think our yield's going to uh, taper off a little bit of me. I think that curves in the flatten as well. Look, I, I, if you can achieve the kind of up to the 5%, I think it's a really good yield. Um, I think a good benchmark of yield is what you're borrowing at and your costs around associated with the property. I think that's a good benchmark of yield, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can borrow at like you know, 2.19% and you can, you can get yields of you know, five, five, four or five percent. You, you, you're above that, right? You, you're building fat in that. So that's that's a good indicator of me is what your costs are to what you're actually then getting as, as a return. Yeah. No. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, we're we're massive proponents of both. That is, we our our whole strategy with our clients is based around three core, immutable and unchanging principles: cash flow positive high growth and value add potential, the ability to add value in time. And what we're, all, what we're always looking for, and in fact, which is one of the reasons that, that we recommend you guys to our clients, uh, is net positive cash flow. It doesn't need to be much, but it needs to be net positive cash flow. Now, when you start looking at net positive cash flow, there is no magic number. For some people, if they've got a 90% P&I loan at you know, 3.5% uh, interest, that net positive point it may be 6.3% gross yield. However, other people 
it, depending on their structures, depending on how all the, the many different components that make up the operating costs of your real estate business, that net positive cash flow point might be as low as in my experience might be as low as five percent we tip, we typically don't go below five percent because we want to make sure that you know that's kind of just a just a barrier line that we sit at the seat above but yeah i think we, it's a really interesting point you, you point out is that net positive cash flow because a lot of people just look at the rental income and a lot of people go okay well that's my income is my rental income but you've got to look at the expenses associated with that as well and where are those hidden costs and that's why i touched on the r&m before right there are and maintenance thing you want to make sure that, yes, you're obviously maintaining your property, but you're not overpaying things you don't need to overpay for. Uh, and where are those other bits that you can extract it from? You know, are you, look at your insurances, look at your mortgages, look at your tax depreciation, if it's available to you there. Look at all of those other things. Look at what you're paying your agent fees. Look at what you know, a potential R&M can be in that property because they are all factors in terms of, your, as you said, right, your net positive tax flow. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'd be very interested to get your perspective as a as a as the CEO of a national service provider in the space. How have you seen now? Bearing in mind that the coronavirus, you know, situation as it may be, kind of really started back in January. Okay, that was when we first. That was when it was first starting to hit the news. We all kind of knew that there was something coming, and then I think it was around February twenty. Stock market crash. That was like the oh oh oh. oh. Here is here, and everyone started to. But really, it wasn't until the end of March that, on a consumer level, people started going, "Oh shit!" Now, I'd be very interested to know, from your perspective, how have property prices been affected? Because, of course, when you affect when you affect the revenue stream of any business, real estate included, and that includes tenants and you know the whole rental equation. When you affect revenue in any business, it devalues the business. So, I'd be very interested to know your perspective on how property prices have been affected in this market? Well, I, it comes down to supply and demand. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Supply and demand and affordability. If you look at those things, you bring those into the market. So, you know, if, if you've got falling rentals, because if you start getting an oversupply, and we've got to look at, okay, what will create an oversupply? Um, what will create an oversupply is people not moving or, you know, a lot more developments coming online and people not being able to take them up. So you've got to look at then, you know, supply and demand dynamics, which is things like immigration, things like, you know, students coming into the, the country. And another factor which we've noticed lately is people moving from short-term accommodation, moving their property from short-term accommodation back to long-term accommodation, right? You know, I think there's circa 90-odd thousand, give or take those numbers, in Australia about short-term accommodation. If you look at you bring half of that back online, right, into long-term, that creates that really starts lifting up that supply, and if you haven't currently got that big movement of people at the moment, where's that demand going to come from? So you then it starts going okay, where's the balance sit? So then you've got pressure on on rentals, pressure on yields. If you've got pressure on rentals and pressure on yields, with stock coming on, people are going to go well. To your point, if I'm doing a calculation, I want to achieve X amount of yield on that, and I can't afford to pay that because I can see prices, rental prices falling in a particular area. So I, I think in the probably in the circuit, you know, again, this is me personally, uh, I think we're going to see a tapering off the prices um, in the next kind of six months. Certainly in, in certain areas, uh, what what I think will be interesting around that is it's not going to be all areas. It's going to be look at the industries that sit within those particular areas as well. Uh, look at you know the populations in those areas. So other areas, as, as I said, our portfolio is quite diverse, so we can see where our areas are being impacted more than others. And that'll be an indicator of property prices in those areas as well in terms of investment properties. So where are those areas then? <laughs> uh, so so we it, it's areas that are relying heavily on tourism. Yeah. So you know, if you again look at Queensland's a quite area, quite a big area that relies on tourism. So we're seeing some of those areas where we're seeing a lot more rent relief coming to it. Um, certain aspects of certain suburbs within certain cities, you know. Um, where you might, again, look at industry types, look at travel, tourism, events, all of those sorts of things. Then look at the, the general, um, if you look at the general income of people that sit within those sort of areas and then what they afford in terms of a weekly rental amount and where those properties, those weekly rental amounts sit in terms of location to a particular capital city. And they're the areas that you're actually finding the impacts are because it's people within certain brackets. 
that are actually hit within that certain areas. And then you, you relate that then to, as I said, you know, certain pockets of Queensland. So we've seen very defined pockets of where those sit, uh, certain areas of uh, particularly Melbourne. Um, we're not finding as many rural areas as much as been hit. It's kind of, I would say, fringe areas. Yeah, that's a really interesting distinction that you made right then. And this is something that I'm seeing more and more and more and more prevalently. So the types of markets that we invest in, a lot of people um, you know, talk about, they, they don't like the idea of regional. So they think their capitals are the way to go and all that kind of stuff. Great. I'm not discrediting that. Capital cities have got, got a lot going for them. What I can say from my professional experience right now is that regional markets are way stronger than capitals way 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 stronger than capitals and i think that this i think if anything that this current period is going to dispel some myths for a lot of people because i'm looking at you know we, we there's a couple of um capital city or nearby capital city areas that we do invest in typically blue collar areas not tourism affected um you know middle to lower middle kind of kind of class areas where the yields are still strong and all of that kind of stuff but what we're actually seeing in the, in the regionals the major regionals is that the prices are actually going up. You know, the, the vacancy rates are, are going down still. You know, the vacancy rates are actually still going down. And how you can go down from 0.3% vacancy rate, like keep going down to 0. One, one, honestly, one of the areas, one of the areas that we, uh, we as, as it stands today, um, we should have a contract today. The vacancy, the vacancy rate is 0.1%. Now, even if you tripled the amount of vacancies in that area, even if you quadruple the amount of vacancies in that area, and it'd still be a rental crisis, right? So and basically, what you're saying is, what's wrong with that one property in the area that's vacant? <laughs> uh, no, well, well, no, this is this is true. It's a great property, it's a great location. I'm very happy with it. But um, I think that I think the very interesting story coming out of this is the um, is the power of decentralisation because I think there is there's a lot going on there. You know, I couldn't agree more, and, and, and that's kind of what our data is showing us as well, is those regional areas are actually holding up better than those I would call fringe areas. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. In fact, there was some recently uh, a very interesting study done by D, uh, DFA, Digital Finance Analysis, I think if I've got that correct, um, and they looked at the uh, areas most at risk of uh, mortgage default and mortgage stress, and in, in, in almost all of the cases, they were in satellite kind of fringe estate areas. So particularly parts of Melbourne and Sydney where there's big land estates. So there's plenty of supply. Um, the demand's a little lower and the economies are not so diverse, right? So we're talking about those broad acre, you know, those, those greenfield estates that get, get established that a lot of people buy into as investments, but then all of a sudden, you know, they've got inherently weak, uh, weak economic kind of, Frameworks around them, which I again a little bit, a um, little bit off off topic, I guess. But I'm very interested to get your perspective. A lot of people talk about uh, investing now. Should they do it? Should they not do it? What kind of things should they be um, looking to invest in now? Some people have got the perspective that they should be, they're going to be swooping up bargain deals and they should be chasing the twenty percent offs and the thirty percent offs and the fifty percent offs and all of that kind of stuff. In fact, uh, one of my friends at the moment is looking to buy a hotel because that's he's getting a huge amount of discount on that. But um, what do you say to people that are, I've got my perspective, but I'm interested to get yours. What would you say to people that are trying to buy the discount at the moment? Um, it, it's interesting. I, I, yeah, I have a belief here that there's a discount in any market. You've just got to find it, right? You've just got to find the value in any market. So if, you, if you're trying to chase a discount right now, well, sure, you might find one or two out there. But... Again, I, I still hold this long-term view. Look, what do you think that property is going to? If it's a discount now, why is first of all, wait, why is it a discount right now? So, you know, why is that particular property? If you're not seeing it across all of, all everywhere, why is that particular property a discount? Understand the, the the value that that property is being discounted for and why. And what does that translate into a rental property as well? Right? If it's if it's a discount on the on this side, it could be a discount on the rental side too. So understand what the, why that is a particular discount. And I think you've got to look at the fundamentals of property and why you're actually investing in the property in the first place. And as you pointed out, right, you've got yield, you've got capital growth. So bring it back to first principles. Whether you're in a, in the market like we're in now or whether you're in the market, you know, like we might be in 12 months time, you bring it back to the fundamentals. Invest on the fundamentals and then that will always carry you through. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. My perspective is, you know, you don't actually want to be 
investing in markets where the bottom has dropped out of the market. Uh, it's all it's great. It's great to find an awesome deal, and as you said, you can find great deals in any market. But I don't think people should be chasing the declines because what that says to me is there is an underlying and inherent uh, risk or fracturing or corruption of the fundamentals. And that is not necessarily what is going to steal. A good deal is a good deal, but chasing, trying to, ch- trying to chase the, um, the areas that are crashing at the moment I don't think is a, is a safe and reliable measure. Now, if we can state, and I'm sure we both agree, that cash flow is the lifeblood of any business and subsequently cash flow is the lifeblood of any property portfolio, what are some ways that um, landlords right now can increase their cash flow or reduce their risk? What ideas have you got around that? Uh, increasing their cash flow? Well, <laughs> I could plug us in there. Come, come over to us. <laughs> we, have cash flow. <laughs> we have a fish and fee structure. But you've got to look at it, right? You know, have, have you found all of those things on your property that you're eligible to find? Right? You know, have you explored... Well, everyone's going through it right now. I, I'm, I'm, I did this the other day. This is a good, this is a good relationship, right? I went through my credit card, and I went through my credit card and go, what are all these subscriptions I'm paying for here every month? And do I really need them? What, what benefit is it giving me? Um, or could I go back to some of these people I'm paying for, and could I find a way to structure that differently? Uh, insurance, for example, I did with my insurance. And I went in there and restructured my insurance. It saved me quite a bit of money. So you've got to come back and revisit these things on a regular basis. If you kind of just let them sit there, often you might not end up paying the the, the optimal amount for that particular service. You know, insurance is a good one. Mortgages are a good one. Then have a look at have you got all the other things on the property? Have you looked at tax depreciation? Is your property eligible for that? Uh, have you looked at, your again, your agent as well? Are you getting value for money out of your agent? Uh, look at other things like you know what repairs and maintenance are going on in the property. Could potentially you renovate a particular property to actually give, you know, you might have a vacancy period right now. Might be the ultimate time to renovate. If you can add value to that property, if you can add old capital value to it, if you can then add something that is more desirable to that property for, for your, your, your clients, as you say, coming into it, these are things to look at. Yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that, by the way. And there's an interesting, a couple of things you touched on there. So depreciation, a lot of people don't, Think that they they think that because their property is not not brand new that they can't depreciate it. We actually one of the earlier episodes we did uh, of this podcast we uh, interviewed Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors, great guy. In that episode, I think it's called um, "Unlocking the Hidden Riches in Real Estate and Making Tax Fun." Catchy. Um, yeah. <laughs> we we talked about how to identify, you know, what you can, how to like, you know, that the, there is way more that you can depreciate than most people realize. The other thing I think you touched on there is the value add component. Now, when we talk about a holy trinity, we talk about you know cash flow growth. The value add potential is, I think, this that's your life jacket. Now, a lot of people when they're buying property, uh, our clients included, they don't want to buy a renovator. They're not looking to be flippers. They're buying hold investors, and they go, but why? Do, so why do I need to be able to? Why do I need to be able to have that 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 weapon up my sleeve? To be able to do something like a cosmetic renovation, or add a granny flat, or something like this, what, what, why, why bother? Can't I just get a nicer house? Shouldn't I just buy? And this is exactly these are the times that it becomes super prevalent because, as much as you can buy uh, a property with good yield, and you can buy in an area where you're confident you're going to get growth and all that kind of stuff, there's always the what if. And this this time that we're in right now, this economic environment is exactly what the strategy was, was, was built around. What happens if everything fails? What happens if vacancy rates go up, employment goes up, and what happens, what happens if your best laid plans suddenly get put at risk, which is why I think it's so important that you've got to have those levers. And as you say, it's a great time if you can do a cosmetic renovation, increase the capital value, increase the uh, desirability for tenants, maybe get better tenants who can pay more, increase your yield on what it was, you may have an opportunity to put a granny flat out the back if the vacancy rates are low enough to be able to support that kind of thing. These are these are the mechanisms that I believe need to be built into the process in every single property purchase. And if you're not doing that, if you don't have a leader like that, my personal view is that if you're not buying properties that have the ability for you to do something, even if it's minor, you are absolutely just speculating and you're buying a risk. I mean, I had a property like that some years ago where actually it was just pre-GFC last time and it was a two-bedroom turned into a three-bedroom. I was able to go up, 
put a bigger second, a bigger third bedroom on there, instantly the the rent's gone up by you know one and a half times. That's awesome. Just straight away, just by doing that, because now I'm appealing to a different tenant class as well. I'm able to get you know people that you know, if someone wanted to share, they could have more people in their sharing. If they were, I almost extended into that smaller family range too. So it gave me that scope, and then it increased the yield on the property and increased the income I was actually taking on that property. And if you actually look at it over time, it actually increased the capital value of it too. Yeah, of course. And I think that's one of the things that people miss, you know, is that when you're doing this kind of stuff, it's increasing the value and the yield, which has on-flow benefits as well. Because if you increase the cash flow and the equity position, then you're able to draw down on that equity much more easily without causing yourself more distress on your in your day-to-day, your, you know, in your paycheck allowance of what you can contribute to your property portfolio because the property is going to support more of that debt, which is a really exciting thing for, for continuity purposes. And I think another thing we've seen here as well, in such a low interest rate environment, now's the time to be looking at what am I paying? Yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, you've got a mortgage broker, to go back and start having those conversations with your mortgage broker, have those conversations with your bank. Sorry, you still there? It went blank for a bit. Yeah. Still um, yeah, go, go back and have those conversations with your mortgage broker. Go back and have those conversations with your bank. Yeah, you might be in a fixing period. You might be, you know, P&I. I don't know what, what, whatever your circumstances. It's always worthwhile checking in on that, doing a health check on those other aspects of those finances. Um, insurance is another good one. So look at those because there's, there's, there's money to be saved in those areas. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And look, you know, we, we've we done that personally as well. We've gone through and uh, and we actually do it. We do, we do it every month. Every month we go and look through all of the stuff and we go, okay, what payments are coming out? Is this, a, is this what we need? Do I need, yeah, do I need it? Uh, what's the benefit? Do it like, you know, is it a, is it nice to have, a need to have? Yeah, is there a way that we can do this better, cheaper, more efficiently, better outcomes, all of that kind of stuff? I think taking that view on your property portfolio is essential. Now, I'm mindful of time. What I'd love, I'd love to get your uh, unvarnished, genuine, and, and deeply insightful advice to anyone who might be thinking about starting to invest in this environment as well. I'd love to get your perspective on on what you see happening and and whether it's a good time to actually start investing. Again, I'll draw back to the the, the time to start investing. I think any time can be a good time to start investing. Uh, look at first of all, make sure it's right for you as, a, as the fundamentals of where your own. Um, situation sits, ensure that it's right for, for yourself. And again, your whole disclaimer in that secret, seek the right advices from the right people on that sort of thing. But, you know, personally, would I come in and invest in this market? I, I would. I would have a look at this market to invest in. And the reason I say that is, I mean, first of all, A, if you look at the settlement period, if you're buying a property now, how long is that? You know, first of all, you're going to have to, it's a certain amount of time to look, certain amount of time to find that property, certain amount of time to settle that property. So you're probably, say, circa, you know, Two months, three months away before you actually get the keys to that property. Anyway, you can find something tomorrow. And um, you know, you've got to go through and sort out all the you know the banks and all that sort of stuff, make sure you get deposit. So there's there's a there's a period of time that will go you know bridge under the water kind of thing in the next three months. So you know, I I think any time is the right time to always start looking because you probably will find those gems out there. Right? You probably will find those ones where. You know, someone may have gone, oh, I'm just going to sell, or I'm going to move on, or, you know, new development coming into it, or there is going to be something out there, you know, ones that you can actually find, in, as you said, in the regional areas where you can add capital value to it, you can do those extensions, they will be out there. So, me personally, I think any time is the right time to invest, you know, pro- providing that is where your journey is up to, providing you as an individual go, okay, what is it, what is my, why am I doing this? There's always a question of why am I doing it? Why am I investing? And some people, some people actually go into a club blindly and go, I just need to buy investment property because my friends bought an investment property. So I need to do the same thing for, for myself. It, I, I'm a big proponent of property. I think property is great and I think investing in property is good. But understand why you're doing it because if you understand why you're doing it and what you want to achieve from it, that will help you focus on wh- what you need to do. And so I think in terms of the time to buy, I think pretty much any time is the right time to buy. You just – apologies. Oh, good. <laughs> my, uh, my uh, phone played up there again. I'm on my phone so I get a bit of reception on that. But that's on the internet. That's actually one thing I've found lately is there's a, there's a lot of stress on the internet network at the moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot more. As someone who's operating a business from home, it's like yeah, sometimes it's sometimes it feels like you're grinding it out like with a peanut grinder. So Well, and I think some of the internet providers have changed the upload-download speeds as well. They're giving more to the people wanting to watch Netflix at home and less of those people wanting to upload video. 
<laughs> so, interesting. Uh, interesting. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, sorry. Well, so, anyway, I guess wrapping that up in summary, I think any time the right time to buy, just again, look at your own fundamentals, look at what you're trying to achieve from in the long term and understand what your investment journey looks like because there will be properties out there that you can buy. And there will be our properties out there that will rent easily. As you said, look at the vacancy factors in those regional areas you looked at. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. And I think that really plays into another part of our um, core core principles. So we we teach people and show people that there are basically three distinct phases in property investing. And there's the foundational stage, which is, you know, typical, you know, buy two hundred to four hundred thousand dollar properties, five to six percent yield, et cetera. Then acceleration phase, which is stuff like granny flat subdivisions, things like that. And then you've got later on stuff which is a bit more commercials and things like that. But I think without understanding why you're doing it, you have absolutely no idea what the next step needs to be. You know, and and therefore it makes it very hard to make the right decision, right? You know, the amount of people, the amount of people that I know who uh, got started on their property investing journey and then didn't really know, like they were just like, okay, I know that I need to do a bunch of stuff and I've got some some good ideas and whatever, and then they go out and buy um, a development site, but then they haven't kind of like they haven't got the cash flow to be able to support that and all of this, and they get themselves stuck. And so rather than going faster, they end up going slower. They think I'll just jump ahead to that bit. I'll just jump ahead. I'll jump ahead two steps. So I don't, I'm I'm impatient, and then all of a sudden they find that they're stuck there. And then if they just done it in a slightly different way and understood. The process that they needed to follow to get there, they would have actually had a much smoother ride. So yeah, and, well, and I think you hit the, the nail on the head with another thing: that education. Get yep. yourself educated. Yeah. So and talk to the people like yourself. Like talk talk to the people that can help you through that journey as well, and that's really really super important too. Because there's yeah, a lot of there's a lot of material out there, a lot of people out there that can help you through that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually fundamentally why. So we've actually got a, um, an online community, a bit of an inner circle um, called the Investor Lab. So name of the podcast, same group. And uh, the purpose of that group uh, is really to, to give people access to really deep back, you know, behind the scenes knowledge, insights, opportunities, all of that kind of stuff. We've got our buyer's agency service. So we, it's done for you. It's like, yep, cool. Let's go buy your property. Wonderful. Let's help you build a portfolio. But there are people out there who, who want to learn and grow. And that's why we started the Investor Lab online community as well but that's for another point mark it has been amazing having you on i think uh i think you've really helped shed some great insights particularly on property management and how people can navigate this kind of market at the moment so i really appreciate your time is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up um look all that's other people hang in there anyone out there who's, who is worried or is panicked hang in there we will get through this it's only going to be a short-term thing you know be it six to twelve months look at the longer time you're the property um Reach out to those people that you know can help you navigate that journey. Um, if you've got good property managers in place, if you've got good, you know, you said you've got investment communities, talk and talk to those people. There's a there's a there's a good statement that was made once. You know, life is too short to learn from all your own mistakes, so learn from the mistakes of others. I, so, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree and that's more. And those forums as well, because there are there are support networks and people out there to help you on that journey and help you navigate through what you've got. So you know, anyone out there is stay positive. This is only just a short term thing. Awesome. Awesome. Great stuff. Now, for anyone looking to um, leverage the benefits of using your Bonza, I will have a link in the show notes that you'll be able to click through and gain access to some you know, amazing opportunities with these guys, which will also help increase your net cash flow position and bolster your, your portfolio, reduce your risk, which is very important in this environment. Mark, thanks so much for your time. I've really appreciated the conversation. Let's do it again. Uh, let's check in Definitely. in a couple of months and um, look forward to speaking to you soon.